CorporalNetwork.com. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Noble Knight Games, where out of print is available again. Listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and D&D Classics affiliate links. Welcome to the Tome Book Club. The Tome is a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, spoilers be damned, in full book club style, and our book is The First Half of the Companions by R.A. Salvatore. And joining us for this episode's discussion is our reigning champion, Eric Paquette. Hello. Welcome back, sir. Glad to be back. And in October, we'll be finishing The Companions, uh, which also happens to be the first novel dealing with the big Forgotten Realms event known as The Sundering. And it's going to... Apparently, The Sundering is supposed to create this new status quo for the world's most popular shared fantasy world. And we should also be talking to the author at that time, R.A. Salvatore. Yes, the, the, the final status quo of the realms, they tell us. They're never going to change it again, which they've told us before. Right. <laughs> so we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> but so far, so good, right? So, and if you want to join join us on that or any other book club discussion, uh, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can send us an email or a voicemail message to include on in the episode to thetomeshow at gmail.com or by calling our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Or you can let us know you'd like to be a guest, and if there's room, we'll welcome you on. Now, before we get into the discussion, we should meant, remind everybody that we have uh, hel- get helped out a lot by our sponsors on the show. Uh, our sponsor this time around is Noble Knight Games, uh, and having sponsors like that, this ha- is very helps out a lot, I guess. Without them, it would be a lot harder to do the show. Uh, our pick for this episode is the Gale Forest 9 Vinyl Forgotten Realms Map with the official beautiful cartography of the 4th edition version of the realms on a durable, non-folded vinyl uh, so, you know, you don't have those crease marks running down the middle. It's, it's suitable for, for hanging. Uh, because if we've learned anything from realms-shaking events in the past, it's that these maps sometimes change when a new edition comes along and a big event like this happens. So this might be one of your last chances to pick up this, this uh, map for your collection. It is $5 off over at Noble Knight. This map is running only at $35 total. Check it out and make sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. All right, and it's time to get into this book. So... The companions. Yes, lots of the, lots of characters to to 
keep track and figure out, especially when you're you're new. But it's fun too because you're learning new these these characters in a sort of way because they are coming back to life. And that 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 brings me to my first question. When I've talked to Salvatore about this book before it came out, one of the things he said is that the last book he did, which, which, whose name escapes me at the moment, but the previous book he did um, was intended to sort of be a conclusion of a lot of Driz's stories up to that point, which w- would allow him to create this, start this story sort of a little bit fresh, a little bit new in a way that, that creates a good jumping on point for everybody for the first time in like 20 some odd bucks. It's the first time he's had, he feels like he's had a really good sort of jumping on point. Um, and he can move forward in, in different ways with the characters. So is this a good jumping on point so far? Hmm. Hmm. Yes. yes <laughs> and no. Well, at the start of the book, they do seem to, in my opinion, seem to make references to previous stuff. But then once the, all the characters, all the Dritz friends choose, well, at least those who choose to come back, they get reborn and they are living lives. They still make references, it seems, from previous stuff, I, I gather. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, there's new stuff happening. So it's an interesting mix. So for me, the problem is, I, was like, uh, I, I don't understand why I should care about these characters, other than the fact that they're supposed to help Dritz, but I mean, I'm not necessarily the biggest Dritz fan to begin with. And then on top of it, some of them just seem so whiny. So, so the big thing we should <laughs> talk about is that there, there are three, three characters, the companions are three characters that uh, were significant in the past with Dritz, the one of them, I don't know how to pronounce any of their names other than Caterbury. Uh Bruner and Regis are the other ones. And technically, right, so, technically there's four companions because there's also Wolfgar, but he chose not to come back. Right, he chose not to come back. So, And then they re, re, rebirthed as actual babies in this world, and now they have to grow up. Uh, they have full memory of their past lives, and in some ways, an advantage from that, it feels, and some other advantages that aren't quite clear. Uh, but, like, they know that they can move their body, like, muscles as, a, as, in, as infants, so that that's what they really try to do. And they remember all their past, uh, how they used to fight, so even if their muscles aren't quite developed, they know the techniques already, so they have an advantage over other people their same age. But they also complain all the time about how things are so hard now. Because, like, Runner's just like, I'm no longer king, and this sucks, because I could, before I could just order people to do all this stuff that I want to do, and now I have to be this guy. Yeah, and I don't know if how much of it is, is I mean, obviously there's, there's some of them who are like, you know, I, I do miss my old life, and, and that's, I think that's fair. I think one, right. one would miss their old life, but I think there's also uh, a, a mentality of, well, we came back to do a very specific thing, to help our friend. And now we have to wait 21 years to do that. And 21 years is a long time to to be frustrated with the knowledge that you have of being an experienced, in like Brunner's case, centuries year old, uh, you know, fighter who, and and former king. And now you're in the body of an infant or a toddler or you know later on a teenager or whatever. I can see where that would be extremely frustrating. Right. But as as someone who's new and didn't read all those old books. After a while, I'm like, can we just get on? Yeah. <laughs> well, Bruner specifically seems particularly whiny. 
Yeah. yeah. He's having a really hard time adjusting to this whole yeah. thing. Yeah. Regis seems to be ha- having fun. Is Piracolo Regis or is Piracolo some other character? Um, Regis is, came back as the as the Genasi touched, the plain touched. Okay. Halfling. Spider. Spider, yeah. Okay. He never, he never really has a name of his own, but then they nickname yeah. him Spider. Okay. You know, he he's he his having because uh, he was always sort of the the B character in of the companions. You know, he was always the really good friend, but he was typically the one being rescued or a bit of a one trick pony. He was the rogue, but he was never putting himself in danger. He was never much of a, a warrior or a fighter. You know, he was never on the front lines doing it, the really impressive things in the group. Right. So. He's actually one of the more interesting situations because he's seeing this as an opportunity to to literally reinvent himself. Yeah. Right. You know, now I'm back, and this time I'm going to be the heroic one. I'm going to be the adventurous one. I'm not going to be so so weak and cowardly and all that. Yeah, and and yeah. there's a little bit of the whole. Uh, you know, he does talk about how in his previous life, at at some point, he would have had more than enough money to do whatever he wanted, and so it kind of sucks now that he. Uh, can't just do what he wants and he has to do what his patron wants mm-hmm. and, and, and stuff like that. But he's, it's not anywhere near as much as the other two. And and I think it's clear that they're setting up some sort of, uh, or like that Ari Salvatore set up some, some sort of uh, trial process in this. Like all three of them at one point uh, suffer an event where we, we think they're going to die. Sure. And then they, and they, they come through it through different ways. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, well, I think that's just sort of establishing the point that just because they came back to to accomplish a certain task, there's no guarantee that they survived to get to that task. That there's still a threat of they might just re-die. Yeah, well, and on top of it, they're all suffering for, in some way. And some of them, it was very much across, uh, it felt like class lines. I'm kind of wondering, given <laughs> given what we talked about in uh, with Murder in Baldur's Gate, if there's like, going to be a class thing going on. Oh, oh! You're talking about okay that kind of class. You're, I mean, yeah. we're, we're in D and D, so I was I was thinking okay. other class because that's social the, class. Well, yeah, social yeah, class, social class. See, I was thinking character class also because he's done some interesting things character class wise because he's. I think Salvatore has also taken this as a bit of an opportunity to to reinvent the characters in some ways. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Catabri, who who Trace and I were talking a little bit before the recording, uh, used to be you know the a, a warrior woman, but a warrior in a in a group full of warriors, you know, and so um, it, she towards the end of her life started becoming a wizard, but was never very accomplished at it. And well, guess what? Now she suddenly can be more accomplished at that and and leave behind her warrior ways. And and they conveniently sort of talk about how you know at one point she mentions, um, I wonder if if I if I tried it or trained with it, that muscle memory of being a warrior would still be there or not. But I don't really have time for that. I need to focus on these other things, you know. Very, yeah, clearly, very clearly setting up. She might still kind of know how to be a, a warrior, but she's choosing not to be. So this is her new class. Yeah. Yeah. And they go go to, to some lengths with Bruiner to, to explain how um, he's still – I mean he's, he was a fighter, I would say, and now he's a, a barbarian. Mm-hmm. Not a huge change for him, but they do go to, go to some lengths to describe you know, his discovery of this rage and all that. And, and I think that's part of why he's so whiny is because they're trying to build up the fact uh, – his anger and frustration is, is the explanation as to why he's now a barbarian. Uh, quite possibly. I just I, – I, I don't it, – it, 
feels overly forced to me. It doesn't really feel. No, I see that. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying I feel like, yeah, I, I feel like the these change in the changes in classes are not are, are are more organic in some cases than others. Right. You know. Yeah, and then and then the same thing with uh, Regis. He now has the ability to breathe underwater a bit and stuff, mm-hmm. which is like. Yeah, so he, he, had, he had a bit of a, a racial change. His class is the same, but but his character picked a different race. Which which, which is kind of interesting because they're, they said that they're all going to come back as the same uh, race. They did, but then they very specifically, when they described um, Regis being reborn at the beginning of his it very is, first chapter, they, they very specifically mentioned this stuff going on where he momentarily forgets his, his racial identity. It, it, just right. was, it just wasn't as important to him. Right. So he's still a halfling, but now he's a plain-touched halfling. So there's a little bit of, of, of a racial change, but not a major one. And it was also interesting, though, I forget which character, maybe it was Broner or Regis, they, they went through this whole thing afterwards when... Like, man, there was no promise about our gender. We could have didn't change. <laughs> and it really bothered the character. Mm. It was very interesting. Yep. It worked out, and I'm not, I'm not yep. surprised. Because <laughs> that would have been awkward for, for a lot of readers, too, I think. And, and actually, that brings up a good point, is that, is that um, I feel like this whole, the, the way they've done this, like going reincarnation instead of just bringing them back to life, is... On one hand, it feels less less contrived, I guess. You know, because at, at one point I was thinking, well, I mean, I've, I feel like I've known for a couple of books now that, you know, these characters were definitely coming back. I, the foreshadowing was fairly clear. And I just sort of assumed that this in this book we would have the story of, oh, yeah, they came back and they got back together with Drist and, and now the, the old group is back, right? It was just sort of Salvatore trying to bring back the old stuff and then – that's not the route he took, right? He took uh, the road less traveled, a little bit thornier of a, of a path to, to walk down here because he didn't just bring the characters back. He reincarnated the characters. So now they're kind of different people, but with old memories. Uh, and so he's not just bringing the old gang back. He's reinventing the old gang. Yeah. Well, it's which is great for a new person like me who's never read a, a Salvatore book where, okay, I'm getting – they're – I'm learning about these characters as they're trying to relearn themselves mm-hmm. too. So I do get some confusion from the other characters. Like I thought Cadbury was a wizard and now is becoming a druid. They seem to be implying that, but I'm mm-hmm. not too sure. Yeah. And sure. It seemed to, that, that was sort of a, a result of her experience in the afterlife. She was a warrior and then, you know, maybe picked up a couple of levers, levels and wizard at the end of her life. And then, but then she spent the, the her entire time in the afterlife serving Maliki, which is Driss god, which is a nature goddess. Yes. So when she came back, it was sort of natural. Oh yeah, and now you're a druid, and yes. and I presume the chosen of Maliki. Yeah. Well, because I think uh, they mentioned that Driss is the chosen of law. Well. Yeah, there's there was they they mentioned that and there has been some implication uh, some questioning of that in the past that that they a bunch of these shades who are looking for the chosen um, believe that Drist is a chosen, but they don't know if he's a chosen of his own god Maliki or if he's actually a chosen an unwitting chosen of Loth. Oh, right. So, but if but if Catabri is now the chosen of Maliki, does that mean Drist can't be? 
can gods have more than one chosen? I mean, the only time I've known that to happen was Mistra has always had a, a bunch of chosen, but most of the time the others only have one. I think. Wait, mm-hmm. weren't there weren't there multiple with Balda? Those because you're thinking of the the ball spawn thing. Yeah, I think that's different because they're not chosen; they're actual like children of the god. Okay. And 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 part of the whole murder in Baldur's Gate story is that then one you know one of them becomes the chosen, right? Or had the potential to has the potential to. Um. Yeah, I'm. I'm also wondering. So, talking about them living this new life thing. So it it feels, and I'm I I don't know a ton of realms lore, but it feels like they were all put into like B or C level cities. Like they were not put into the main cities. Um, yeah, Regis is in Aglarond. Bruner, I, I think Bruner. Basically, they needed to put. They wanted to put him back into a dwarven place that wasn't one of his own. Mm-hmm. And there's not that many dwarven places that aren't his. Right. <laughs> so I mean, Mithril Hall. He he was the king of. <laughs> so it kind of feels like they're being changed by those experiences, though, mm-hmm. that they may not have had before. And then the whole living, uh, Caterbury living, with the bit. Bedine, or yeah. however you pronounce it, and then like who are basically enslaved uh, and cannot practice magic and stuff like that with whatever this sundering thing is supposed to happen. <laughs> like I, I feel like they're they, they all were put in with the uh, marginalized and underrepresented. Oh, and that's where your social class sort of situation comes from. Yeah. <laughs> Although Bruner's not. He just he just feels that way by comparison to his old life. You know, he's the son of the former captain of the guard of of a relatively successful dwarven community, you know? Yeah, you know what's really weird to me about that whole dwarven community is how uh, integrated into everyone's life the king is. Mm-hmm. I don't he's, know if you noticed that. Yeah, he's a very active king, isn't he? Because, like, uh, Bruner's mother gets all upset uh, because he has his temper tantrum yeah. as a teen, like a teen fit, teen fit. And suddenly the king shows up at his house and says, you know what? You're going out there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you, you mistreated your mother. So the king shows up to scold you. <laughs> like that's. <laughs> yeah. But I that's mean, why I, I guess I, mean, the, I only I was able to accept that if only because there's a history between the king and that family, you know? Yeah, it was just it was one of those, and and I get that to a degree. It was just still kind of weird to me that, king, like that night, the king would show up. Yeah, the king for, is is very involved in the daily daily workings of his his uh, <laughs> people subjects. Yes, I was like, how many people are on the guard? Well, the king just does his rounds. You know, he's like Batman. Yeah. He wanders the halls of of the dwarven uh, <laughs> kingdom, and if he hears you know shouting going on, he he goes in and takes care of it. He's a meddler. I also have a lot of questions about how that whole community works, but I, I don't think I'm going to get them answered. Yeah, I don't get the I don't get the impression they're trying to give us. I don't think they're trying to give us a lot in terms of setting beyond how it impacts right. the development of these characters. Right. You know. So that and 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 in fairness, that's never been Salvatore's strength anyway. Salvatore's yeah. never been the setting guy. He's been playing in, in other people's sandboxes the whole time and trying to do it in a place that didn't get in other people's way. Right. You know? I, I'm, I'm curious about the timing of the book. Okay. Because 
and and we and I suspect we'll find out by the end what the timing of the book is because I suspect I'm wondering, you know, at the end we, we at the beginning of the book we sort of the, the what the prologue or whatever is I think word for word exactly the same as the epilogue of the previous book, where Drist is critically wounded and and walking up the mountain and he doesn't know how he got there and all that yeah, mm-hmm. which I interpreted in the previous book as Drist died, and Maliki took him and and. You know, he's walking with Maliki or whatever. You know, that that's sort of his afterlife. Um, and I'm wondering, is that happening 21 years after this book starts? Well, it says here 1484 for the, in the prologue. Is the, is the year... 1484 is the prologue, and then what's chapter one? Uh, let me check. 1462, so that's... About 22 years. Okay. So they're all going to show up at the same time that he's walking up that mountain critically wounded. That's probably what, what will be happening yeah. at the climax of the, of the story. Right. So at the, at the, we're, we basically, in the, in the larger scheme of, of Salvatore Driss novels, what we've done is we've actually jumped backwards in time to tell the story of the companions and how they got to the point where they're going to meet back up with Driss in this time of his need. Right. Yeah, and then Driss' story is going to continue on straight on from from where we were in the last one. Yeah, the one next one he's coming out was March or something. Yeah, his next one's coming out relatively soon, and his next one is coming out in the middle of the Sundering event, but is not part of the Sundering. Yeah, it's a little awkward, I think. But uh, one of the other things I because I had heard a lot of people wondering if the sp- spell scars and stuff were going to be in here and they are yes because Cadbury has a spell scar yeah well in fairness well first of all I don't know that it's a spell scar it may be they mention it as, is as a spell scar well several her, her parents mentioned it as a spell scar okay. um, but that it may be you know uh, she's touched by her god and it, and it manifests in that way or whatever I um, thought they also talked about a little bit about wild magic though like pockets of they, I, I don't know they, it may be um, and, and it would make a lot of sense for her to have a spell scar as well. But, but part of that whole dealing with the time shifting thing is that this book is actually almost entirely actually happening during the fourth edition realms. So, yeah. So all that spell scar, you know, so far we, we have actually very, very little information about the sundering because we're just getting the hints that it's coming in the same way that we did in the previous just book because it was happening, you know, simultaneously. So, so far, we haven't gotten any new information on the Sundering that I know of. No. I mean, the only, the only thing I heard about the Sundering is during the, uh, uh, the Gen Con presentation about Forgotten Realms, where they were talking how the Sundering is going to be basically the separation of Abir and Toril. Right. Which I thought they were separated, but they're not apparently. Or well, they were, and then they mushed back together for the during the fourth edition spell uh, spell plague thing, and, okay. now, and now they're going to split them back apart. Okay. Well, and wasn't when did uh, Mister die? Mistra. Mistra, yeah. Which one? I don't know. The whichever most, one this one is. <laughs> the most recent which one. Are, the most recent death. Yeah. Well, no, whichever one this one's referencing because it references it in here. When does it mention Mistra? It, uh, when they're talking about 
uh, with Caterie. Uh, uh, so yeah, so that that was them explaining the spell plague. Okay, uh, M- M- Mistress Death, the most recent Mistress Death is what caused the spell plague. Right. But she's coming back from what I've gathered with other books and other yeah. stories. In the in the uh, Elminster books, she's kind of sort of come back ish. She's not a god, but her essence, her or whatever, is still sort of around. So, and I suspect that that'll be the story we get out of the the Elminster book that Ed Green was doing at the end of the Sundering series. Is that that'll be the full return of Mistra as a goddess, the reestablishment of the proper magic and right all that jazz, which is really, I mean, they've sort of decided to frame this whole thing out as, as the whole thing starts with a death of, of, of a Mistra and then is going to end with the return of a Mistra. Cause they sort of, uh, when they laid this out and this was, I think two years ago, Gen Con now they sort of, uh, James Wyatt described it as, well, everything has been into this massive state of flux and the, and the realms have been incredibly chaotic. Um, and it started all started with the time of troubles, which was the big event that they had that shifted from first edition to second edition. And that's where all the gods died, and the first, and, and Mistra died. The well, that Mistra died. Um, that had been Mistra for hundreds of years or whatever. And that's and they say you know they're saying that that's sort of when this whole thing, this whole whole upheaval started. And now this event is sort of the conclusion of all these decades of upheaval, centuries now of, of upheaval, um, and things are settling back in. And, and Ao, the over god, is going to put things right again, and, and you know. End all this this craziness. <laughs> That's sort of the over meta story of the whole thing, right? Yeah. But so far, we have no idea how this is really tying into the Sundering any more than the previous book did because they haven't dealt with it. I mean, all we're getting is hints from the the Shadowvar, the you know the wizards from Shade, yeah. about what the, the, the they that they know over this prophecy and they're looking out for it. And they're watching these things, which is exactly what we found out from the exact same characters in, in the previous book. So there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Is there any awkwardness or whatever because we, we picked this up thinking it was gonna, going to be a Drist book and Drist has not really appeared in it at all? Sort of. I was expecting a Drist Dred's book, and then when I read, was in, I'm like, wait a minute, he's not really showing up. So I quickly what, removed from my mind the fact that this is a Dred's book, and then mm-hmm. I just said, this is a character of three people who are coming back to life. And in my mind, it went, okay, this 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 is now this is now working. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I even found this a very interesting concept, even for like a, a campaign or something like that, that you start out. Like, okay, you're going to be rescuing a friend of yours, but you guys are coming back to life. This can be also cool. You're riding into the rescue. It's a 21-year process. You'll get there eventually. (laughs) Yeah, I I was in the same mode, right? I was expecting that the the process of them coming back to life and meeting back up with Driss and and reforming their group um, would be a relatively quick process. You know, maybe the first half of the book and and then they're back together and they're saving the day because there's some other threat that was hinted at through the entire book. Um, And then as soon as I figured out as soon as it was clear that they were not being resurrected but were being reincarnated and not just being reincarnated but being reincarnated as infants, 
uh, it became abundantly clear <laughs> that <laughs> no, this whole book is going to be basically about them reestablishing themselves back into the world and who they are now as characters as opposed to who they used to be. Yeah, because I'm just looking right now at the the chapter titles and the l- chapter 29, which is right before the epilogue, is Bruno's Climb, which is where, where they're gonna Dritz meet. is in the prologue. So basically, literally, that's, it, it's literally setting them up that they were those they're probably going to meet up mm-hmm. meet up and then as a group started heading over like meet up familiarize themselves with each other's uh, new bodies and new abilities that they have as a group form as a party and then as they head towards towards their friend. That's what I'm suspecting will happen. No, I, I suspect they won't even all meet up until the end because when they were in the afterlife in Maliki's Grove or whatever, um, they they had specifically said at that point, we will meet on our twenty on our 21st year at Bruner's Climb. Oh. So that's, that's you know, if that's the chapter title of the last chapter, then, you know, that, that's also where they said they were all going to meet up. So it may be that, that we're getting, you know, teenage, early, t- early teen characters right up until that last, uh, that last chapter. And some of them might meet up, and they also opened up the and foreshadowed the possibility of that. They mentioned, you know, some of us might meet up earlier than that, and, and you know, yeah. that's possible too. But I was okay with it not being a just novel. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I also find it interesting, and it kind of goes back to the whole idea of it being a jumping on point, uh, because on one hand, it is building it, it's it's ju- much like they've said they're doing for the sundering right they're not undoing anything that was done yeah and, and the same thing's happening with these characters so that long and storied history of 20 some books that these characters have is still a long and storied history of these of 20 some books that these characters have and so all of that is still relevant and acknowledged however they're also kind of entirely brand new characters and so that's why why i think is it a jumping on, good jumping on point? Is it not? I, I don't know. And, and, and we have to rely on others to, to let us know based on their experiences. And, and Tracy, I think, has, a, has probably the best perspective for us. Um, because they're all new characters, but can you get past the fact that they're also kind of not all new characters? Well, Eric didn't have a lot of experience either. Oh, this, so. Yeah, this is my first Aria Salvatore book. Oh, it is? Yeah. Yes, it is. I've never read any of his books before. Oh, though. so but, you're, you're an even better gauge. I'm yeah and to me it's like okay cool I mean yes they seem to make references to other stuff from the past but they're still learning themselves so Mm -hmm. I find I I find it is an interesting starting jumping in point for someone who's who's new okay good no that's that's a really interesting viewpoint because it seems to me that he's he's acknowledging the past enough to make the reader aware that there is a past without having to delve deep into it because it's not as relevant to who they are now. Um, but th- but I don't have that perspective because I've been reading these books since I was in yeah. you know eighth grade. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. So Eric's – it sounds like Eric is, is hanging on better for the jumping on point than you are, Tracy. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was just... I, it's not It's not necessarily the lore, but maybe it's more of the why do I care about these characters issue. Yeah. Like, making them... 
<laughs> Making me care a little. Well, because I mean, the thing is, is it, it feels like there was this whole expectation that I should care, that because they're the companions of Dredst and blah 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 blah. But but is that is that alone enough reason to make you care? Yeah. I get and that. I know I'm biased, so I will admit to bias. Sure. Well, right now I'm. I, I feel like some of them are more interesting than others. Yeah. I feel like I feel like Catabreeze. Maybe not Caterbury herself, but the story happening around her is the most interesting. Mm. Because, because I think I feel like that's the one that's most tied to the, this whole Sundering event. It does feel that way a bit with Bed Iron, which the shade and all that. The shade, yeah. She's, she seems to be more involved in the conflict compared to the other. Brunor, yeah. I'm. Yeah, he whines a lot. Brunor's <laughs> having a hard time. Yes, he, he, he's a dwarf. A dwar- dwarves are classically known to be stubborn and Infinity. hard to change. So, <laughs> and, and he's having to go through. Well, and, he, and he's also having a bit of a crisis of faith at the same time. You know, he was always uh, a, a very spiritual sort of character, and suddenly um, he's questioning his decision. He's questioning Morden's decision to allow this to happen to him. He's, you know, he's. He's having a pretty serious crisis of faith while also having to deal with the fact that he's being treated like a child so, because he's in the body of a child, but it, mentally he's the king of, of, Mith- of Mithra Hall, you know? Right. And, then, and the problem is I often feel like I'm told that much more than I'm shown it, yeah. but I don't know how, given that uh, he's trying to do three characters in this one novel and in the amount of depth he's going in, I don't know how he could show it do more it than tell it. Yeah. Sure. And maybe we'll get more of that in the second half. Uh, yeah. One of the things I one of the, the thing things I'm dealing things I'm dealing with, I guess, as I read it, is this whole reincarnation instead of re- resurrection thing is much different than I expected, and it's it's going the whole book has gone in a very different direction than I expected, and it could either be really cool because of that. Or it could completely fall on its face because of that, and I won't know until I get to the end and figure out how it all ties together. You know. I also, I also think the beginning of the book kind of set a tone that made it hard for me to want to keep going. What the, tone? Well, so with the uh, Caterbury's Kaya character, she's like kind of chased through the town, and in part it's because this ten-year-old boy kind of likes her five-year-old girl thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just felt, but it was like, it's their culture. I don't know. It felt weird to me. Um, and then when Regis is reborn, it, his mother dies and he's cut from the womb Mm -hmm. and it's kind of really like, I don't know, felt really gross to me (laughs) and, and, uh, um, violent, which was meant to be. Birth is a violent thing. Yeah. Well, no, but on top of it, killing his mom, and on top of it, he loses his pinky during that process because his dad's the one that's cutting him out. Yeah. Well, that was also, I think, uh, and they and they briefly mentioned this as well. It's a bit of a nod because he lost a finger. Yes. Uh, in his previous life, and so you know, it was sort of the the irony that while his racial identity is not something he's as tied to, apparently being nine fingered is something he's more he more identifies with. Right. You know. And so it was it was fated to happen or whatever. Right. You know, and, well, and, and that's that's part of what I think is interesting and possibly fantastic and possibly horrible about the book. And we, I, I won't know until later, is because because of the reincarnation, it's allowing for these very different sort of perspectives and storylines. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm the concept of an adult 
very developed mind inside of a of an infant's body, you know, and dealing with you know how does that happen and what you know what are the challenges of that and how does growing up occur when you still have the mental capacity that you used to. Um, and all of that, and and Caterbury's in, in a whole different boat because suddenly she's become super spiritual, which she never really was before. Um, right. And so it's it's brought a, it's brought this whole weird element to the whole thing. Yeah, going back to going through puberty again. <laughs> yeah, like which we'll probably be experiencing soon enough or something. Or Bruno already is right. You know, because yes. they they so. men, they mentioned in in one of the chapters right before we we stopped that um that he's getting his first whiskers. Yeah. Which is important for a dwarf. Yeah, and I know I was just mentioning the parents, but those are that was a whole nother level of trials and tribulations that we didn't talk about that much. It was like uh, all of them, their parents had some issues. Like mm-hmm. so, Bruner loses his father when he's an infant, mm-hmm. uh, and his mother raises him. Uh, Regis's mother dies during childbirth, oh. and then uh, and his dad's a drunkard, and his dad's a drunkard. Uh, and he and, has and, to and, go. and cares so much about him, he doesn't even bother to name his child. Yeah, it I, I find him. that to be telling. Yeah, that's an and extremely he, dysfunctional relationship there. Yeah, yeah. And then Caterbury's uh, parents uh, are wizards who are not allowed to be wizards, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, basically live in an enslaved uh, among an enslaved population. Yeah, I, I mean, they're not. They're, it, they're, put, not, they're, they're oppressed I, more than enslaved, I think. But uh, they're called. Are they in, are they described as being enslaved? Because my understanding of the fourth edition status quo is that they're more just oppressed because they want to make sure that the the shades want to make sure they don't ever cause problems for them. Uh, I was pretty sure there is the enslaved word was used, but I could be incorrect. Uh, I, I could do. I'll believe you, or at the very least, that some of them are enslaved and the others are sort of wandering around doing their own thing until they're needed as more slave stock. Well, yeah, and there's well, and there's also a difference between uh, having your freedom versus well, yeah, I think they're forced to do things too, but yeah, they don't have freedom. They can't go off and do whatever they want yes, that's whenever true. they want to. Yeah, that's true. And they definitely cannot practice magic. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's it's interesting because. You talk about the, the parents' issues, although I feel like Regis definitely is dealing with the biggest parental issues. His mother dying in, in childbirth and his dad being so dysfunctional. Right. I feel like Bruiner, okay, there's the tragedy of your dad died, but his mom is actually fairly supportive and, and you know, practical and, and seems like a good mom. The biggest problem with Bruner's situation is that Bruner is a really angsty jerk as a as a kid. Yeah, yeah. And he feel, I, I feel like he's just starting to sort of get over that, right? Towards the end of where we start, stopped reading, he started to feel bad about how poorly he's been treating his mom. Right. Yeah, he he definitely did. Well, I guess I, I was trying to more point out, other than Caterbury having to leave because the shades were after her and and tried to assassinate her mother, but she saved her mother's life. Um it's all stereotypical adventurer stuff, right? Like nobody oh. has a happy family life. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and it's one of those formulating things. But yeah, uh, Regis's father—that that was a that was a huge deal. But his but uh, Runer's mom is very supportive, and his father, for the brief period of time he was alive, was very supportive. He brought him to the. I thought it was kind of cool that he brought him to the tavern, mm-hmm. bumbled up. 
Yeah, like, I, I feel like. Um. Oh, I don't know what I was gonna say. Oh, oh yeah, uh, I feel like Regis has the most connection to his his new birth parents than any of the others, though. Yeah, Regis is sort of just embrace it. Hey, look, I got a new dad, and he's bending over backwards to do what's best for this guy. You know, right. putting himself at serious, <laughs> serious personal risk to try to help this guy out because he feels this connection. I feel like uh, Catabri doesn't, you know, is very cognizant and very aware from day one, from birth. These are not my parents. I'm going to act like they're my parents because that's what's going to help me fit in and survive until the point that I that I need to. But they're not my parents. And she mentions a few times, she still kind of sees them as, as her parents, right? They did raise her, at least in this life. Well, and she likes uh, the warmth and love she gets from them. Right. It's like, she still craves that. Sure, which also makes sense because she didn't have parents in her previous life. Bruner was her adopted father. Okay. Which, you know, is a bit of lore that you probably didn't have. So, I mean, I, I feel like there's a, there's a reason that she... she likes that and craves that but at the same time she's like what five six years old when she tells him that oh by the way i'm actually a reincarnation of another person and i'm not really your daughter right you know so they're the most aware of what's going on and they they seem to accept it fairly well and i must leave you now yeah (laughs) for five year old (laughs) to go off into the desert (sighs) in fairness She's a, she's, so a, she's, a, she's a five-year-old who can who can pull lightning out of the out of the clouds. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They grow up so quickly. Is there any, <laughs> is there anything to the fact that she seems to be becoming a pyromancer? We sort of get right towards the end that Catabri specifically mentions in her training because she's now training with with the Wizards of Shade, um, and she specifically sort of mentions and talks about the fact that she seems particularly inclined towards fire magic. Oh, if she was a warrior before, fire fire magic tends to be the more uh, violent aggressive. Uh, types. Yeah, aggressive. So it does seem yeah. a, it does seem a weird combination though to be a druid and a fire mage. Uh, wouldn't have happened under fourth edition. <laughs> well, no, because we had no multi-classing <laughs> rules. No, no, oh. no real multi-classing rules. Yeah, you can. <laughs> but uh, fire is in is very much a in nature a renewal thing. You burn stuff to leave to to, to let the new stuff grow. So for druidic magic, I can see it. Yeah, but a second ago you were just telling me that fire is a natural fit because it's the most destructive and aggressive, which is the oh, opposite of what a druid would want from their magic. <laughs> so there's, druid, there's, there's, druids, a, there's a weird druids, balance. Druids can be aggressive when needed. I sure. find. No, I, I'm I'm wondering though if this is not a an indication of a deeper conflict within her. It could be too. You know, it, it's it's the arcanist versus the the druid in her that's sort of battling things out. It's you know her arcane magic is coming from um, the training that she's getting from wizards of shade, which are obviously not you know an ideal situation. Um, whereas her druidic magic is coming from a good goddess. And so there's, I, I feel like it may be indicative of, of this deeper sort of conflict going on with her. Well, and she keeps also kind of wishing she could go back to some of the warrior stuff, like a longing there for that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does and, every now and, and then I'm mention. She's in, in a hyper uh, environment where it's about uh, etiquette and uh, courtesy and... Uh, 
uh, feminine mm-hmm. wiles and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which is not her. Right. And no. It, I mean, as as, as what I mentioned, she was adopted and raised by by a rough and tumble dwarf. You know. Uh, yeah. She was always the one, and I don't know how they're actually writing her speech because I'm I've been listening to the audiobook version. But in the previous books, they even spelled her speech in such a way as to elicit a Scottish accent. You know, are they doing any of that with her? The only one that seems to be a Scottish accent seems to be in the Bruner story. Right. But she picked it up from him because she was raised by him. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, she's lost some of that, that rough and tumbleness about her as well. Yeah. But she stands up and says stands up to the Aveline or I don't know how to pronounce her name Uh, and and like the the shade yeah it's like I I couldn't I couldn't get away with the stuff you do and you don't even need to charm the people that they would do your do your bidding anyway but I I don't have that at my disposal so I'll do this well and at what point in time do we expect that the Shadowvar the shades are going to ask her to do something or make her do something that she can't that she's not comfortable with at all you know, I I just I felt like her saying yes, I will go with the, with the shades. I will let them train me to be a more powerful wizard because I need to become more powerful. Was a really short sighted thing for somebody to do who's already lived out the entirety of one life and has that wisdom to them. You know, it's like <laughs> really like whatever it takes for power. That's your attitude because you should know better. You should know that working with one of the most evil groups on the planet is not going to turn out good, <laughs> you know, and basically letting them raise you. That, there's no scenario wherein that ends, ends happy. Yeah, although I don't know what her options really were. Well, she could, she could at least have, have agreed to go with them to a point and then, you know, now she's at a point where they trust her so much that they're letting her leave. She, they're letting her go back to visit well, her family at one, one, what, once they, a week or whatever. But that's already been explained why she doesn't go off and leave. If she tries to leave now, they'll they'll kill her family. Right. So when she goes, run away with the family. But her powers weren't for a long time. weren't where she could do that. And on top of it, where are they going to go? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like that's that's kind of the problem. It, I mean, it's the same sort of problem that uh, even Regis felt in in his thing, like. When uh, when the group of youths were running after him after he stole the whistle and everything and they were beating him up. Like, he got away for a while and then, you know, eventually his luck ran out mm-hmm. and he's sitting there getting beaten. <laughs> it, 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 it just feels an awful lot like the road to hell being paved with good intentions. Of course. And, and, and it feels like right now it's working out in her favor just fine because they're not asking her to do anything that she has a moral problem with. But eventually they are. And then she's going to have to make a decision. Do I do this immoral thing or do I save my family? And she knows from the beginning. She has to know from the beginning that that conflict is coming. Right. So she should be looking for every opportunity to get out of that situation. And I feel like at this point, she's been with them for a couple of years anyway. She should have found something. <laughs> you know, There should have been some opportunity. And Regis said himself – we haven't gone – to the advanced part with Regis yet, but he set himself up too. Also, where one day oh, yeah. something is going to be asked of him that he may not be comfortable with doing. And yeah, absolutely, because he's working for the, the basically the leader of the thieves guild, right? Yeah, which is exa- well, and his is interesting because it mirrors almost exactly his same story in his previous life. Except, oh, really? except that he wasn't nearly as badass in his previous life. He was just uh, <laughs> an accomplished burglar, basically. Um, now, now he's you know I feel like he's he's 
the most you know developed or, or definitely one of the, the the coolest new characters of the companions. You know, right? He maybe not the most powerful with what Catabri's going through, but but he's certainly one of the 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 coolest ones now. Which which is nice because he was always like I said he was always sort of a B character anyway. Yeah. He was he oftentimes played the role as the of the damsel in, the, in distress. But uh, we are getting close for year wise to the 1484 because I just noticed that the chapter 16 is at 1478. So okay. So, so stuff. We're getting there. Yeah, they're about yeah. We're, well. It makes sense. We're about halfway through the book, and they're about halfway through their their lives until they meet yeah. back up with Drist. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, I know, and I noted we haven't been like at the beginning. We jumped through time a lot, right? They were born, and now they're they're a year old, and now they're seven or they're five or whatever. You know, we jumped yeah. by years fairly quickly, and now we've sort of reached this equilibrium equilibrium point um, where they're all you know I don't know they're are they are we considering them teens yet? Or you know, around ten years old, maybe. Um, well, there's six years still. From six years from twenty two, so that would be what sixteen. So they're yeah. So the, yeah. so right now they're in their teens. Yeah, because yeah, I think with Catarese, they said there was ten years. She had spent ten years since she was five. Oh, okay. So yeah, so they're so they're about they're a little more than the halfway point, but I also feel like they've slowed down. You know, they're spending multiple chapters now in the same age yeah. uh, and seeing some of the, those stories play out. All right. Any other last thoughts? What are we looking forward to in the, ne- in the second half? What do we want to see happen? I want to see how they, these characters develop, how they change, and how they, how they grow up. Mm-hmm. How they're different than, than what they were before. Who are these people? I want to... I want to learn more about these characters since this is the first time I meet them. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I have no really basis on comparison. Okay. But I also want Brunor to to stop whining. Yeah, yeah. Tracy wants to care about the characters, right? I want Regis to decide that, you know, this whole companions thing is awesome and all, but being a deep sea diver and going after old Rex and being a treasure hunter is really where it's all at. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> He's going to give up on adventuring and, and decide to just be a deep sea diver. Well, deep sea diver is still adventuring and just under yeah. the sea. <laughs> under the sea. <laughs> now you're going to go into the little mermaid, huh? <laughs> Very, uh, good. Very good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing um, a lot of those things, right? I was I was going to mention that I'm looking forward to, to seeing Bruner um, get over his angst. Um, and and develop into whoever he's going to be, or at least start to cope with it. I, I I'm not. I don't have a problem with him being angry and frustrated. I just need him to be angry and frustrated and express it in different ways. You know what I mean? Just hearing him whine a lot is getting tired. Um, but at the same time, I, I'm not going to be upset if he deals with his crisis of faith for several books, as long as it's happening in an interesting way. I mean, yeah. it, as long as he stops throwing chairs around. Right. Yeah, because he's acting like an angsty teenager. Yeah. You know, which, in fairness, he He is. is. But he also has the knowledge of, what, three, four centuries, you know? (laughs) So he should be able to move past that. Catabri was a five-year-old who acted like a a 47-year-old. So Bruner should be able to move past that, too. Right. How is is it that Catabri 
is way more mature than Bruner when Catabrie is his adopted daughter. <laughs> well, it's because she... Well, I mean, she's been more mature about the whole thing from the oh, start. Yeah, she's yeah. the leader. I feel like, yeah. yeah, she's been in... in she's, yeah, she's been the lead. She's been in sort of the... Um, the most knowledgeable and the most comfortable with what's going on because she's been she's been talking to Amelia she, Key. She, or, she's the chosen, right? Yeah. Yeah. For her, it's an issue of faith. For Bruner, it's a crisis of faith, and for Regis, it's an opportunity for him to reinvent himself. Yeah. Do I remember correctly if Bruner was one of the last ones to decide to actually come back in that chapter? And the, so I know uh, Wolf. I know Wolfgard decided not to go. Right. Which makes sense because he had sort of moved on. He had barely showed up in, in the last like 10 bucks. Yeah. But from what I recall, Bruner had some very much some issues about doing this again. Yeah. Well, and I think that comes down to his crisis of faith issue yeah. is that he has this extreme sense of loyalty to his friend. And on the other hand, he's also always been a very spiritual person. And religion's always been very important to him, and he he died a good death, so to speak, you know. And and he he was due his just rewards, and and he lived a a full life, and he sort of accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish, and he was ready to move on, and 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 you know be in, be dead now, uh, and this sort of struggle he's dealing with of how do I be this loyal friend and at the same time be who I'm supposed to be, you know, be be a real dwarf who dies and and goes to dwarf home. So hopefully he he finds what he wants to uh, to be the dwarf he wants to be. Yeah, I agree. All right, last thoughts. Uh, no, no, no. All right, then we will read the remaining uh, re- remainder of the book, uh, chapters what seventeen to the end, um, and it'll, I look forward to seeing where it goes. Uh, I want to take the time to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight. Make sure to check them out and let them know that the Tome Show sent you. Sent you. Uh, I want to thank our guests. Um, can we just start calling you the uh, the book club third co-host now? If you guys want. <laughs> You're here enough, right? I'm here enough, so. There you go. Uh, and you are Eric M. Pack, P-A-Q, on Twitter. Yes. Uh, and I want to thank our listeners for listening, and I want to thank you for using our affiliate links with Amazon or D&D Classics when you buy your D&D PDFs. Um, you guys are awesome. Thanks for all you do, and thanks for supporting the show. And if you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email to thetomeshow at gmail.com or call us at our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And you can find show notes for all of this over at thetomeshow.com as well as other great Tome Show shows. And that's our thoughts on the first half of The Companions. Next month we'll read from chapter 17 to the end and and all, all things uh, occurring as they should, talking to the author. So keep reading, Tomites. I'm on the wall.